right, so Jonah chapter 4. All right, so Jonah chapter 4. Before we get into chapter 4, I'll give a brief recap. So we have in chapter 1, right, we see Jonah called. He does the whole 180, runs a complete opposite direction towards Tarshish, right? And then we see in chapter 2, he's swallowed up by a great fish. Some of them say he's a whale. It's a great story. And he's spit back out, and we have that wonderful message and that great analogy from Pastor Vinny, right? There's two ways out of the whale, right? God's word or <laughs> God's will or the other way. And then in chapter 3, man, we saw Jonah finally obey. And he preaches this word, it's an eight-word sermon, and over 100,000 people come to faith, and it's amazing, right? And so here we are in chapter four. Chapter four is a great chapter. It's really, you're gonna, you're gonna experience an interaction between a prophet and God, God and his servant, and we can get a lot out of it. And that's kind of where my main idea is, if you see on the slide, my main idea is real simple, and my encouragement is really to all of you, that uh, with all that is in you here this morning, right? With all that is in you, do your best to see your life in Jonah. And here's what I mean about that. When we need to see our life in Jonah, it's easy to detach ourselves from these type of characters, right? They seem unrelatable for a few reasons, right? It's a prophet. Not many people are walking around here with the title of a prophet, you know? And so I get it, okay? It's a little unrelatable. He lived in the Old Testament. We don't. And he was swallowed by a great fish. I'm pretty sure none of us are going to experience that kind of trauma. And gratefully, right? I'm, I'm so proud. I'm, I don't want to be swallowed up by a great fish. But those things, we can look at them immediately. That's kind of the things that we know uh, define Jonah. Like when we think of him, we think of a fish, message, people coming to faith. But it doesn't make him relatable, unrelatable, and here's why. You see, yes, he has a gift being a prophet, and we don't. But if you read in the book of Corinthians chapter 12, you go to Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, just those three chapters alone in the Bible, there's a laundry list of gift sets. Gift set that belong to every single Christian here at Generations. If you were a believer, guess what? You have one of those gift sets. You have the gift set. And the problem with it, see, one of those gift sets you have is like the gift of mercy. Okay, cool. You know, the gift of giving. Oh, that's awesome, a giver. They don't get the same prestige because they don't get staff positions. They don't have authority. But guess what? Those gifts are essential for the growth of the church. They are so essential because you, you set the tone for the people who come to hear the word. So those gift sets are super important. So just like he's a prophet and he's accountable to that gift, you have a gift set listed in scripture that you are accountable to, right? And the Old Testament, we're not removed from the Old Testament. It is, it is a living and active document. It is breathed by the Holy Spirit, and believe me, it, we're going to experience the beauty of the Old Testament this morning, and as we've been over the last year with Isaiah and Jonah. And lastly, yes, I cannot find no correlating issues or factors with being swallowed by a well other than this, or a great fish. We all struggle. We all come to a place where we wrestle with God, and that's okay. We can accept that. That's good. That's a relationship. Any healthy marriage has its struggles and its pushbacks. Those are good things. So we could take those concepts, right? We could take that idea from Jonah, and we can learn so, so much. Because we want to see his humanity, right? I'm pretty sure God's not going to send me to a spot where I'm going to drop eight words, and over 100,000 people are going to come to faith, right? I wish. It'd be pretty cool for my social media status, but that's about it. But it's not going to happen, right? I'm sure of it, because I'm not Jonah. So anyhow, so now really one thing I want to share personal before we get into Jonah so about 15 years ago, I felt called to the ministry, and I, had, I went to Bible college, and what was really cool into where I met my lovely, well, actually where I started dating my lovely wife. I had known her already, Claudia. And um, so I was in Bible college, and I felt called to the ministry, and God gave me this opportunity, and it was Jonah chapter 3. And I preached this message on God's faithfulness to his word. Like, if you just say what he says, then all the, you know, he'll do the work. 
Something along those lines. That was essentially my message. It was long time, 15 years ago. I can barely remember yesterday. And so 15 years ago is a little bit of a blur. I just know it was Jonah chapter 3. And of all classes, it was my history class at uh, Bible College. And you know what, man? 14 years after that, I kind of came to a crossword where I wasn't sure if I was called anymore. You know, and I was like, do I want to do this anymore, Lord? Is this the world you're calling me to? I'm cool with just being a pool man. I'm cool with just owning my company, doing my thing. And just had this season. And the season was pretty weird. I can't explain it. It was just my season. Um, and then one day I just woke up. I was like, yes, I want to be in ministry. Don't worry, I'm always shake like this. I think it's a mental issue I have. Uh, I wanted to be back in ministry. And I told Pastor Jeff, hey, brother, I want to be back in ministry. Whatever you think's best, man, let's do it. I'm going to walk the road that you think's best. He's my pastor. And, man, we just started working on things. And, and uh God gave me the opportunity in this Jonah chapter 4. I don't know. To me, I just feel like it's the next chapter of my life. God has opened up ministry, putting me back in the pulpit. So humbled. I am so humbled and honored to be here. Uh, but I'm excited at the same time because it is a passion that burned in me for a while. And I was like, man, I need to do it. So I feel real excited. I feel real encouraged and confident that this is where God wants me. And I hope you guys are blessed. And just so you know, for those of you who don't know me, thank you. For those of you who don't know me, I just want to make one thing clear. I'm not related to Pastor Jeff. <laughs> He just looks like me. <laughs> and remember, the older always imitates the younger. So, no, we kid. Hey, kid, he's a, he's, he's a dear man to me, and I, I'm thankful to have him in my life. I would probably just be some angry pool man, being swallowed up by pool water and not preaching. In the <laughs> but gratefully, I got Pastor Jeff in my life and a wonderful wife to push me back into where God has called me. So, Jonah, this guy who can seem unrelatable, chapter one, bless you, chapter one, chapter four, verse one. It's Jonah, it sets the tone for the whole chapter. I apologize, Jeff, don't kill me. I have to close two books. I have no idea how these opened. There we go. Okay, Jonah, chapter four, verse one. Verse one sets the tone for the entire chapter. Look what it says. But it displeased Jonah. What's he talking about? The people coming to faith, repenting, and man, they were fasting. That king literally made his animals fast. That's a pretty intense repentance. I mean, he's like, the cows don't even get food. Nobody. We're all repenting of our evil ways. But Jonah's exceedingly mad. It says that he was angry. Now, I want to stop right there. It says he was angry. You see, Jonah, I love this man. Learned so much about him. So many similarities between he and I. Uh, remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Vinny was preaching, right? And Jonah was in the well, right? And he knows, or the big fish. Um, and he's like, okay. He starts praying. All right, Lord, I am ready to serve you. I'm ready to go all out. He, he finally repents, ready to do his mission. Look what he says. Chapter 2, verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Oh, what a beautiful prayer, right? But just a day or two later, he's exceedingly angry. He's like, no. No, I am angry. Forget that prayer. <laughs> but that's like us, right? Haven't we all been there? I know I have. I remember the beginning stages of my marriage. You're never going to have a kid. Lord, I pray if you give me a kid, I will be the next Greg Laurie, Billy Graham, whatever you need for me. <laughs> then my son was born. Then it be, I was more closer to prison than revival ministry. <laughs> like, whoa, I am very immature. Where did this guy come from? And then I got a second one. I was like, okay. Lord, give me patience and strength to endure the storms of childhood. But no, in all sincerity, money is probably the biggest issue, right? We all find ourselves struggling financially. Lord, 
please get me out of this. I'll do whatever it takes. I will commit to 52 Sundays in a row. And, and not, just, you know, not just Christmas and Easter anymore. We make these promises to God. And we make these promises. And then circumstances change and our attitude changes. And I want to share with you, it's okay. That's not the end of a world. That's a sign of a relationship. That's a sign of a healthy relationship with God. Um, it may not be a healthy heart you own. It may be an issue you're dealing with. It may be some sin that's rising in your heart and causing this conflict. But it's okay to have that conflict as long as you're doing what Jonah did. See, Jonah's mad, but look what verse, look what verse 2 and 3, he starts to pray, right? Look what it says. And he prayed. Look at Jonah's prayer there. He prayed to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew. Look at, look at he, I knew you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Lord, I'll serve you with thanksgiving. Not better yet, I'd rather be dead. <laughs> Trip out, but at least he's praying, right? At least he's taking it to the Lord in prayer, right? And that's a comforting thing. And that's a healthy thing. You see, prayer is something we can all do. And I feel like sometimes we rob our relationship with God because we think, and look, let me be very clear. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that when we approach God, approach him humility. I think it's in chapter 5, kind of just came to my mind right now. But I know in John chapter 15, Jesus talks about the relationship with Jesus. It's very important that we humble ourselves, sit still before the Lord, and have those devotional moments. They are very important. As a matter of fact, they are going to be the anchor of your faith, right? It's going to be one of the most powerful things you could do in your faith. <clears throat> I know Ron pointed out, he goes, hey, you're wearing anchors. That's, a, that's pretty cool. You're teaching Jonah anchors. <laughs> I try, Ron. Um, but anyhow, where was I? Um, um, where was I? Praying. Yes, we were praying. <laughs> And, and he's praying to God, and he's bringing his prayer to God, and, and he's approaching God with his anger. And, and back to the devotion part. There we go. I'm going to find it. Back to the devotion part. That's great. You need to strive for that. But we also got to remember, man, chaos happens. Drama happens. And we can go to God with honesty. You know, we don't have to sit there for 10 minutes buttering God up. Lord, and, and <laughs> like if I want something to happen, I start reminding God, you moved the mountains. You created this. Like his, I'm reminding him is going to make him obey me. It's just me feeling good about myself. Now, look, it's very honorable. I encourage you to know scripture and repeat it to God. I don't want to make light of it and remove it, but I want to teach you about your relationship with Jesus. And we can learn so much of it through him because he's a prophet. He just did an amazing thing. And he's got some weird responses to it. You know, he, honestly, modern day, he probably wouldn't be allowed back in the pulpit. You need some help, dude. You need to go take a break. Go sit some time with, with, with Ned uh, Beetle and be refreshed. He's an inside joke. <laughs> uh, sorry. And, uh, but no, this is just a real genuine relationship from a man of God who wants to accomplish God's word, but he has his own sins. And we can learn a lot from that. We also learn a couple of things from this prayer. First, he runs right to God, right? <clears throat> and he tells him, I'm not cool with this. He's super honest. No buttering up. He gets right to the point. And yes, Lord, I didn't want to see these people forgiven. I didn't, that's honesty. Bless you. That is severe honesty. I don't know if I'm that honest with God. I would try to I could see myself in my prayer being like, well, I want them to go to hell. However, this is why, God, you know, and, and I feel justified, you know, because they stole my bike. I don't know. I, I mean, the, you, which is totally wrong, but in the, the, the context, you know, we make light of it, but Pastor Mike said it really well. When you think of um, having like maybe an American go preach to Bin Laden right after 9-11, that would be pretty intense. I don't know the type of emotions I would have in that context. <clears throat> in that context. 
And so I want to sympathize a little with Jonah, but I also want to continue to look at this beautiful, honest relationship and see the falseness that my own sin kind of fudges up. It grays up the issues with me and God. And I want to have that honesty with him. I want to have that boldness to come to him. God, you're using me, but I'm so frustrated right now. Because it leads to continual fruitfulness, as we will see. But he prays. And I love, look at God's response. Look at verse 4. I love this. And the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? Simple. Really quick about prayer. I apologize. If we could back up a little bit about his prayer life. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, understanding what prayer is. When we start to understanding what it is, I think we have a little more commitment to it. But look what Paul says. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not carnal, but they're divine power to destroy strongholds. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about spiritual things. Prayer, tithing, fasting, these type of things break strongholds. Hardest. You know what I know about prayer? It's probably the easiest thing you could do in the faith, but the hardest habit you can commit to in the faith. And that's because it's intense warfare. Read Daniel. I believe it's chapter 8. He's praying, and it takes a week for him to get his response. And the reason why it took a week, because the angel told him, hey, I was battling some demons on my way down. <laughs> that's my modern vernacular. But essentially, it's what he's saying. It was warfare. And it gives us an insight. We ask for something, and we stop, and then we, and then we don't receive. And we start to understand what, what Jesus said. You ask not, you receive not, because you ask not. Meaning, you're not spending the time battling in prayer. Look at, look at Jacob. Jacob was literally crippled through wrestling with God. God likes that. It draws the best out of you. It removes the deepest stain, the stains from you and gives you clarity on the beautiful relationship you have. And I just encourage you to, to understand prayer and just go at it, man. Make time for it and make it consistent. And when you don't want to do it, do it. Because I'll tell you one thing, one thing. We need to be strong as Christians. Your strength will come behind your strength will arise. I'll say it like this. If you aren't praying behind closed doors, I doubt you will stand strong in public. I'm just going to say that with boldness because you need to have a strong relationship to stand. Look, we're in a time where we offend anyone. I mean, I can literally throw out eight words and offend over 100,000 people like that. I won't because it's not my goal. But what I believe in is extremely offensive. The gospel is anti-society. That's the wrong way to put it. The society, the world does not accept my gospel. We have to accept that. There's truth in there that does not want no part of. As a matter of fact, everything we rest on, the majority of the principles we rest on, are all trying to be redefined. So standing for our faith, it's going to take some strength. And it's going to, we're going to just find ourselves in muddy water just from the nature of being a Christian. First Timothy, or Second Timothy, says you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. And so those are promises. We don't like those promises. We like the other ones, ask not, receive not, or, you know, knock, ask, you know, name it and claim it. That's not in the Bible. So, but now verse four, look how Lord, the Lord challenged him. And I love this. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? I feel like we can learn two things from that statement. First, we see how God reacts to us when we're in these irrational situations. I can see my side, I can see Joey coming to me. Man, Scott, I just plead, I, I, I just closed for Phil Wickham, and it just, man, I'm doing all this, and I just wanna be over with it. Man, Joe, and I would just kinda of condemn, you're an idiot, dude. It's probably because you're doing this, 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 and just kinda of beat him up. You need to stay strong in the faith. I'm like, that's not God's way. 
Now, if he was sinning, that would be God's way. But when he's just struggling in his relationship, man, God has this gentle approach. And I love it. You know what I love about it? Because he doesn't give him the answer. He gives him just enough for Jonah to think about. Eh, is it right for me to be angry? And then once that initiation starts, Jonah's going to go down. Why am I angry? That's a beautiful thing. So we can learn how God will respond. And then also, we can be challenged challenge ourselves. How should we be responding? Like I said, it's easy to condemn. It's easy to put people down. It's easy. But it's very difficult to be patient with people. Sorry, nervous jitters. And that's what God wants. We see that right here. We see him interacting with his servant who's struggling. And he's interacting with grace. And he's leading him. Don't get me wrong. God is going to drop a sledgehammer on the dude. But I love how he gets there because we learn so much of God and the relationship that we have with this God. All right? And look at Job. How many, if you're not familiar with Job, there's this passage in Job I'm going to read right now, chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. Job, I'm going to go out on a limb and say nobody suffered more than Job. Um, you think someone has? We could talk. If you don't know who Job is, Job is a servant of God, and Satan's roaming around, and God, this is the crazy part. He goes through some serious torture. I mean, trials. Five kids die. Loses his hands, house boils. I mean, he is just shot, right? And, and then he has his two buddies, or not two, he has a handful of buddies that show up, and they sit with him for two weeks, which tells me all his friends are men. So he sits with them for two weeks. They don't say nothing. That's what I meant when they're men. No speaking for two weeks. Just quiet. Sorry, just playing. It just takes men that long to figure out what to say. But even after two weeks, even after two weeks, he starts, I know I got to dig myself out of that one. <laughs> Even after two weeks, though, right, of quietness, his friends open up their mouth, and they start doing this philosoph like philosophizing, like, oh, maybe because you did this, God is mad at you. Maybe because you did this, God is mad at you. And it finally comes to a point where Jonah says, or Job says this, look, I also can speak as you do if, I, if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head. But Jonah says, I would strengthen you with my mouth. And the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. I know I said that wrong. Right? Is it assuage? Assuage. I always do that. Dyslexia. Ah, I would assuage your pain. That's a beautiful thing, man. That is a beautiful heart to have. Anyone can build some, tear someone down when they're struggling. But can you build them up? You know, that patience and that guidance to build them up. I love that. I love it when I read that and I saw that. Seek to be a life giver, not a condemner. Right? Seek not to vilify, but to build people up. We can do it. We just need to have faith and continue to move forward. Now, look at verses 5 through 9, right? If we go through verses 5 through 9, we're going to see now Jonah responds <clears throat> to God's question. It says, Jonah went out of the city, and he, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it, he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So he's setting up shop like he's in a theater. He wants to see the city grenade it, but it's not going to happen. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant. Now, here's when it get real dicey. When the Lord God planted, <clears throat> now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of this plant. But when dawn came up the next day, <clears throat> God appointed a, war a worm to attack the plant so it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. So that, time, so that he was faint, and he asked God that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Oh, Jonah, 
Jonah's just nuclear no matter which direction he goes, right? Um. <laughs> but we see his response, right? And you got to ask yourself a question. What can draw a man to have that much bitterness towards a nation where he wants to kill himself because God saved them? Like, I'd rather be dead than to see these people enjoy your grace. you got to ask yourself, what leads a man to that place? Because we're susceptible to that same sin. So we kind of got to ask the question, man, how did Jonah get there? Because if I were to say, if a man were to come and say, hey, and just say that without knowing who he is, we'd question their faith. But Jonah is a man of God. I mean, he's got his own book in the Bible, right? He's a prophet. He is a man of God. And we're seeing this out of him. And we're going to ask ourselves, man, how could a man of God who actually has this this very close relationship with God get to this place? It's a question we've got to ask ourselves because we are as vulnerable as him. And God's going to show us. Man, Jonah was so focused on his comfort, his will, his life, that if he had to break his mold, he did not want a part of it. His kingdom. He wanted his God. He wanted to rule, right? I bet you Jonah was the type of cat that rather just liked being in, in, in the nation of Israel with this title, the prophet, rolling around, doing this prophetic stuff, right? With his own worship band, his favorite speakers. He's comfortable. But when God challenges his comfort, woo, that sin arises. He loses. He's like, ah, I ain't going there. I'm your prophet, but not that prophet. Boom, and he bounces. And we see God wrestle with him. And we see the vulnerability of God's servants when we look at the life of Jonah. And we see that, man, I could be doing a lot for the Lord. I could be extremely fruitful, but I have this deep sin that God wants to take care of. And it's hindering. It's hindering me from even being more fruitful. 120 people come to faith instantly. That's extremely fruitful. So we got to ask ourselves that question, how did he get there? And God's going to expose that. And we see, now we see Jonah setting up shop, right? Verse 5. Now notice this. We finally get a passage right there in verse 6. Look what it says. It says, God gave him the shade, right? And, and Jonah was exceedingly glad. Oh, his comfort. He, he gets the comfort and he's happy. So God is exposing him. Look, dude, you are happy over this. Look what brings you joy. Your own self-comfort. I feel like comfort's one of the biggest things that stalls out the church. And I get it. It's difficult to break the comfort. It's difficult to break the mold. It really is. But I feel like we just get in these comfort zones. And we don't want to share our faith. Because it's uncomfortable. And we don't want to maybe go the extra step because it's just uncomfortable. I don't want to go forgive my brother and sister. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to have that conversation. And Jesus says... He says, if you're in worship and that comes to your mind, you better stop worshiping me and go make amends. Those are heavy scriptures. We ignore those. I don't think intentionally. We want to honor God, but we have to intentionally go and re-examine those scriptures. We have to examine them against our own heart. Your heart is deceptive. John Calvin, John Calvin said, your heart is an idol factory. The first of 10 commandments is you shall have no God before me. That is because we constantly, consistently will make gods. We'll make it out of anything. And the easiest thing is money and prestige. And then after that, just go down the list. We can, man, humans can make a God. Look, we are willing to worship, okay, mafiosos, for all my sureño mafiosos. They like to worship this drug cartel. It's like, really? How did you even get to that place? But man will worship that to feed his own ego, to promote his own will, to accomplish his own agenda. 
because he's grown his own kingdom, which is all antichrist, which is all things that hinder the gospel. We have to be for his will. We have to be seeking his kingdom, and it's going to take discomfort. And you're going to need to start with a life of prayer and understanding your relationship with God. And that's one of the things I believe Jonah can, can he engages with, with God in this really fascinating way because he understands his relationship. It's very clear. He knows he's crazy, but he knows God's merciful. And he knows God is going to forgive him. And you never really see him, like, take God's grace for granted. He's just honest with God. Like, look, you called me here, and I don't like this. But then he's obedient. I love that. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. And I love seeing that out of Jonah. And out of his obedience, he gets to preach. And over 100,000 people come to faith. Real quick thing about Nineveh, though. You want to see how crazy man can get? There is part two to this book, and it's called Nahum. Go ahead and read it. Because 100 years later, the grandson of this king, not literally, that generation, no bueno, they grenade Nineveh. <laughs> and God comes back on them and, and judges them. But anyhow, this shows you the sin of humanity. Humans, idol factories. Now look it. And look what draws the idol out of Jonah. Here it is. We're going to conclude chapter, verse 10 and 11. Look what it says. And the Lord said to him, you pity a plant for which you did not labor. Now God's being harsh on him. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. This thing was meaningless, and you cared for it. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? Listen to what it says. Look at God's perspective on the lost. This blew my mind. Over 120 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. I believe the much cattle part is just referring to it's a wealthy nation, okay? But look what God is saying to them, to Jonah. Dude, you're so worried about things that don't matter about the kingdom. You're so worried about things that have no impact on the kingdom. Only you, it makes you feel good, but it does nothing for my kingdom. It does nothing for what I'm doing in this world. You're mad at what I'm doing in the world because you're so focused on yourself. You're so focused on comfort. Yeah, you're fruitful. I'll make any, God would make, make a rock fruitful. <clears throat> yeah, you're fruitful. You're doing your thing and you're a prophet and you're my servant. But your heart's so far in the wrong place that you're discouraging and you, you, are, you are doing a disservice to not only yourself but the future of the kingdom. That's where this will lead. Because the man is so focused on himself. And aren't we? So easy. Especially, in, you know what? I think the biggest issue with the Western church and the success of our country, we just have it so easy. Oh my God, it's so easy to be comfortable. You know, I can sit here in an air-conditioned room. I get to preach the gospel. I'm very thankful. Thank you, Lord. Seriously, I am. I would think twice about moving to Mexico. Like, I don't want no air conditioning, you know, preaching because I'm so comfortable. It's our comfort that God is challenging. You know, I know God's calling me into a few things, and I talk to Pastor Jeff. I'm like, man, I'm so scared. And I'm trying to be honest, and I'm trying to break the comfort of what I've gotten into because, you know, it leads me to sin. And we need to, start, we need to start looking at the world with God's eyes. Look what he says. They're blind. They're lost. Man, we should, we should, we can, if we start to understand, here's what's going to happen. If we start to understand the lost, right? And we start to understand that even the people who disagree with us and want to redefine everything we believe, you got to understand, they're blind. I expect that from them. I don't expect it from us. I expect that from them. That changes everything. You know, I'm going to go to a pool party after this. And I don't even know who's going to be a Christian there. I expect all 
the actions I see. I, my wife and I, just need to be very prepared to engage and have a good time amongst it. But we know what to do, and we know how to stand for the gospel. At least we're trying. We've made our mistakes, and we're trying. But when you have that proper standing of the lost, you start to look at them different. Show compassion on them. Remember Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom is theirs. Right? When you have that understanding, I'm empty. I got nothing. I'm poor in spirit. All I have to give is what God has given me, the grace to offer back to the lost. His spirit will give them clarity. The word of God tells us that he has sent his Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. We obey. The spirit does his job. Fruit happens. It's a beautiful thing. I just want to encourage you as you, as you continue to look back on the life of Jonah. As we look back, man, we can, <clears throat> we can gather so much, you know. And, and um, when you think of the life of Jonah, and even you think of the book of Jonah, you can see it. You can see the beautiful relationship God has with his servant. And then we can apply modern day things that God has given us, like communion. So right now, if we can get the worship team and the elders... Take offering. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do communion shortly here. And so um, I want to ask the worship team to come on up. We're going to do communion. The elders, if you can have the bread and the juice. And I'm going to share a little as they start to prep for communion and our response time. If you look at the book of Jonah, right? Jonah's a man of God. He's called. He runs. God challenges, swallows him up, and brings him back. Right? And then he obeys. And then he draws out the sin. This is why you were so stubborn. You were so focused on yourself, right? And we're all there. We're all in that place. And that's the beautiful thing. See, that's why it's good when we look at the story of Jonah and we look at, at these, these champions of our faith and we see their mistakes, we can start to learn, man, I'm just like that person. And that person's a prophet of God. I'm just like that person. And that's a servant of God. And then you could take your sin, man. And God gave us this beautiful thing called communion, right? It's a beautiful time where we could take the bread we could take the wine and the juice, and we can go to God in faith and say, man, Lord, I've struggled. See, this is the place. When, 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 when God asked Jonah, does it do well for you to be angry? This is the place where you, you're asked that question. Is it well for you to have this attitude? And you get to commune with God, and God will start to reveal to you just the areas. Man, you're focused a little too much here. You know, I don't have enough of you here. And God starts to correct those things. And it's your job to take the communion back to your pew. Take it and eat and give thanks for the blood of Jesus, right? He has forgiven your sins. The book of Isaiah tells us that by his stripes, right, his death, we are healed, right? And it says that his blood is washed us new and our sins are forgiven. And we can embrace this beautiful relationship and communion is a spot where we remind ourselves of that grace and we get to re, uh, not re, but we get to just enjoy it again and remind ourselves of the beautiful grace that God wants to offer you. Same with offering. Man, we have the deacons up here with the offering. That is a wonderful time to show God your faithfulness. Like, you know what? No, because money is the one thing that wants to rule your heart quick, and it can, especially in an expensive SoCal society, right? But you're like, no, you have no authority over me. I give to my king because I'm, I am for building God's kingdom, and that's worship. That's an act of worship. It's the same obedience as communion and repentance, and if, you're, if you are a guest here, I just want to say this to you. The offering is not for you. You are a guest. We brought the word of God to you, and I hope you are encouraged. This is for our members, and we're asking our members to give as we continue to build the kingdom. Church, I love you. I'm humbled to be back here. Make the most of what you know from Jonah. And as this worship team starts to play and starts to lead us, I pray that you're blessed and reestablished in your faith, encouraged to continue to go forward and close out 2019 with King Jesus on the throne of your heart. Amen.
Father, thank you for this time. I pray as my brothers and sisters now come on up for communion, Lord, that, that um, Lord, you just meet them there, Lord. Encourage them there. There's so many of us, Lord, that just life just gets in the way. And it's easy to be brought down. It's easy to have the thoughts, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be out of this relationship. I'd rather be out of this situation. But faith brings us back to where we need to be, Lord, putting you, Lord, the center of our heart, Lord, and being uncomfortable following you, Lord, accepting, Lord, that some of your word is difficult and we need to move forward. Lord, your promises came to the men. You said, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. I pray that we become those Christians or maintain that attitude of picking up our cross and dying and following you with all that we have, Lord. I just pray your Holy Spirit, would you just encourage the believer, convict the sinner. And Lord, let us meet us here, meet you here in this place today. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.